You're listening to the Missionary Perspective Podcast with veteran missionaries Eric Johnson and Joshua Mead. We're glad you could join us. We trust this podcast will be both a blessing and a challenge as we relate topics in world evangelism from a missionary perspective. Now, here's Josh and Eric. Welcome to the Missionary Perspective Podcast, and we're welcoming back uh, missionary Stephen Knickerbocker, missionary to Burkina Faso. And if you listened to last week's episode, I know you were blessed by his testimony and how the Lord is using them and their family in Burkina Faso. And uh, today, this week, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the challenges of evangelizing in a place like Burkina Faso. And I wanted him to go through some of the details of maybe how he would specifically share the gospel with either a Muslim in Burkina Faso, uh, maybe somebody with a Catholic upbringing and background, or somebody who might be purely animistic. And he mentioned last week that whether you're Muslim or Catholic or whatever background you come from, animism has deep roots uh, in people's lives and their culture and their traditions. And so all of that is going to affect how you're going to share the gospel. The gospel never changes, but you need to be able to understand the mind and the thinking of those you are evangelizing so you know how to best approach what part of the gospel to begin with and to explain and to share. And so here, of course, working with Muslims, uh, we have to explain every day as we're sharing the gospel, what does it mean to, that Jesus is the son of God, right? And so one of the challenges is if you come in without uh, understanding how they define son, then you can respond by saying, yes, absolutely. Jesus is the son of God. But what they hear when they hear son is that, oh, you believe God took a wife and produced a child, right? Which is absolutely what we do not believe. And so it's so important for a missionary to be able to understand and learn the people group he is reaching and the thinking and the worldview and mentality. So we're going to get to that. But uh, I want you to share a little bit about, last week you shared about your church planting and, and some of your vision for Burkina Faso. We'll end today with maybe a broad vision of where you want to go uh, with your future ministry in Burkina Faso. But what are some of... Uh, did you experience culture shock any? And was there any humorous aspects of uh, your experience of maybe learning the culture that maybe something unexpected? Yes, yeah, several, thing, uh, several things come to mind. Um, uh, immediately when we, uh, the first uh, Burkina Bay family that we, re, we hosted for a meal, yeah. my, my wife prepared a meal for them. And, and um <clears throat> Uh, so the man started eating, and then there's some bones and some things that some sort of skin of some animal or or, or so, something that did not go down. And so uh, instead of doing what we would have been used to doing, which would be take that piece, put it on the side of your plate or on the on the table, he just took that and spit it on my wife's beautiful clean floor, <laughs> tile floor, and we were just in, we had never seen that. We just sure, got gotten sure. to Burkina. We had never seen such a brutal, um, inappropriate conduct at our ta dining room table. And believe me, with uh, uh, four uh, brothers growing up uh, in a home, we saw our share of, uh, of uh, I'll, leave, I'll leave it at the stuff. Another note um, is the, the way they speak or they express affirmation. So when... When we when we talk together, we we, we nod and we yeah. say we grunt maybe or, or something like. When Burkina, they have these weird ways, and in some cases some shocking ways of of following someone as they're talking about something. And uh, one of them would be uh, 
the uh, the gecko sound, which is a snapping of the tongue, which sounds like, and that means they're following you. They they agree with what you're saying. But there's an, this other guy. I was I was uh, riding in my car with uh, with a Burkina Bay, and I, we were talking, and all of a sudden he went ah, and I I looked this and I was like, are you okay? And and he was just ex ex expressing surprise or shock yeah. after what I was saying because we were talking about a, a certain situation sure, sure. and uh, and he just opened his mouth as wide as he could and he was like ah and uh, and and so that was that was a, a shock to me but now today you know we uh, sometimes I'll use that yeah, even yeah. to, yeah. to uh, I, I use it because it's appropriate but also because it makes me laugh uh, because of how uh, strange it is uh, we we definitely did not grow up with that type of expression yeah, and exactly. uh, an another one is this guy was on uh, on a phone and he's wa wanting to uh, to say to the other guy that he he's following him and uh, and there's different tonal sounds like uh -huh, uh -huh, and then different things like that and well you're not following the conversation and when you hear someone on the phone and all you hear is uh -huh, uh -huh, uh -huh, uh -huh. I mean, it's hilarious, and I don't know how people are responding right now. But when we first saw uh, saw that, we thought it was the funniest thing, and it's, it's just different, and it made us laugh. So certainly, and that that's the experience, right, of, of becoming a missionary. You start to see, you know, the different nuances in culture and different expressions and things, and you really have to embrace it, don't you? You really have to learn to love it, to learn to to learn to laugh about those things, not in an inappropriate mocking way, but just to, to hey, this is another way of expressing things. Because a lot of a lot of times when you're serving overseas, it's those little details of, of frustrations or differences that can begin to eat away at your spirit and really cause you to become resentful. And, and, and you know, for example, here, there's no such thing as a single file line, you know, and things like that. And just a lot of different concepts you mentioned last week about just being pointed out that you're the white guy and it's difficult on your wife. Same with my wife. It's very, it's much more difficult on her. We would go out for walks more often. And now it's just like, okay, it kind of gets old. And it's those things that can rub on you. I think one of the biggest challenges, and, and let me know if this is maybe in your experience as well. One of the biggest challenges, I think the longer you're on the mission field is maintaining compassion and not developing, avoiding developing a hardened spirit. You're, you still love the Lord. You love the people, but becoming indifferent to those little nuances and annoyances to what we might find being from a foreign culture, not allowing those to cause indifference, which can really affect your ministry in a long ways. Um, you really do have to embrace those things. And it seems like you've probably, even when you preach, you're using some of those expressions. I could tell it that ah, he's embraced some of the African expressions. That's great. Love to hear it. Now, let's talk a little bit about uh, some who know you already know some of the uh, difficulties that you and your wife faced uh, during the early days in your ministry. And, and I, I wanted you to speak a little bit to that, especially if we have a young couple maybe listening right now, you're on the mission field or anywhere you're at, we all face different types of tragedy and loss and trials that the Lord allows us to go through. But it, there is something different. And Eric Johnson, a co-host, he mentioned it in our last episode we were doing on stress. 
And the thing he said is we, we don't, as missionaries, we don't view like we have a monopoly on stress. Everybody has stress, but there is something that is when you're from a foreign culture and you grew up somewhere else and you're in a foreign culture as a missionary, when you face different stresses, there's a uniqueness to it that can be difficult and can really uh, destroy a lot of missionaries if they don't know how to find encouragement in the Lord and overcome those things. And so uh, I wanted you to share a little bit about uh, a loss that you and your wife went through and that difficulty and how did the Lord see it through that? How did you encourage yourself in the Lord and, um, and continue even despite this loss? So maybe tell us that story. Yes. Um, so when Julia and I got to Burkina Faso, she was um, seven months pregnant. And, um, and <clears throat> so she, she had some complication with her blood work. So she had to be induced. And um, the baby was healthy. Everything went well. Um, but when it came to the time to, for the baby to be born, our little boy, um, he couldn't breathe on his own. So they immediately put him um, on a manual ventilator, which is a, a little pump that they tried to provoke the, the, the baby to uh, breathe on, on, it, on its own. And, uh, and after a, an hour of trying that, they couldn't, they were unsuccessful and they declared uh, our son uh, dead. And so, uh, yeah, that was, that was a, a big trying time. My wife was still in the recovery room and I was looking at our son and the doctor finally said that we can't do anything else. And so, so that, yeah, that was an overwhelming moment. You, you, you don't even know what to think. And uh, so when immediately, the only thing I could think about saying is what Job said, God hath given, God hath taken away, and blessed be the name of the Lord. And, um, um, and so that, that was a hard moment, but what was harder was going back to Julie and, and telling her uh, that our, our son is, is not there. And so, yeah, that, there's nothing worse than, sure. than someone who's gone through um, a difficult time giving birth and, and then uh, finding out that that child is, um, is with the Lord. So, because uh, we, were, we were expecting, Julie had many uh, miscarriages before, so this was an anticipated event. That was, and we just got to the field, so there's excitement. And uh, what really encouraged us is um, we didn't try to ask the hard questions. You know, sometimes we try to say, oh, what did I do? Um, wrong or is it my fault or whatever we we stayed away from that and the thoughts came but we didn't entertain them and we just spent time together and mourned together and um, you know when Job's friends could have been just there and present which would have been enough you know they they tried to answer the hard questions and that's a mistake obviously because we we're not God we don't understand how it all fits together and so just to to cry on each other's shoulders and that we did for weeks and we were unfunctional um, and so there was a time of mourning but uh, missionaries were there to comfort us burkina bays as well um, were there to express their condolences and and we were flooded with uh, supporters uh, from america churches our pastor uh, all other pastors as well that came in and, and said, whatever you need, we're willing. We, didn't, we even had a, a church that said, uh, we're, we're willing to cover the, 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 um, the, the, um, the, yeah, the, um, 
return of the body to America to have a, a burial there. And, uh, and so, um, uh, and at that point we had already buried him in a, in a local cemetery. So, but we just, we were, and then for the ongoing months, you know, we, we were overwhelmed as well by notes and letters of people saying they're praying for us. And, and, uh, and we could have gone back to the U S but we had just gotten there and we were, um, uh, thrilled about getting started and, and we, uh, and it's, it's never good to make a, a decision, uh, when you're going through a hard time, it's better just to, to, um, uh, find a place to mourn, you know, and, and, uh, and, uh, ask the Lord to help. And so we, and, and maybe it would have been fine to go back to the U S with family and spend time there and, and then return to Burkina. But we just, we didn't, we weren't in any condition to make any decision. So we, we just rather, uh, stay where we were at with the veteran missionaries we were with. And, uh, and that turned out to be, uh, to be, um, uh, very helpful. And so, um, um, yeah, you know, I, we, in times like that, that's when faith really becomes manifested because you talk about the grace of God that's available to you and just at the right time. And, and it's nice to, to know that those truths, but it's another thing to, to lean on, on those truths. And, um, and, and so the Lord really helped us. His presence was near. We, we, we were able to, uh, to sense it. And, um, and, uh, and so that was, that, that was a big encouragement. Uh, but I, I think, you know, the, the biggest thing is, is to lean on one another, you know, as, as a couple, if we're Christians, we, we need to, we need to not speak like the world does and, and try to turn on each other like it would be for a lot of others. And so, uh, we, it, it's literally, you know, the vows come in very handy during those times in sickness and in health and good times and bad times. And, um, and, uh, and obviously that was a, a trying time and that's, that's, that's when the vows are really meaningful. You know, you gotta, you gotta be there for one another. And, uh, and so the Lord helped us and, and helped us to not be bitter about it, but, uh, to lean on him and know that he's in full control. He knows what's, what's going on. Praise the Lord. Yeah, there's no, you know, you're, you're serving the Lord and whether you're serving the Lord or faithful church member and God allows you to go through, through things that are inexplicable sometimes. And I appreciate what you said that, yeah, that there are hard questions that there's just no answer to, at, you know, right now. And so that trusting the Lord, uh, that he is always good in every aspect of life and every situation that comes. But it's the reality of faith, right? The reality of faith is proven in those trying times. And I know uh, we were praying for you when, when we heard the situation and just uh, just to see how God has blessed you through that and, and you've stayed on the field. That alone is a testament to the grace of God and the goodness of God through those trials. It's a testament that missionary, whatever you're going through right now, when you lean on the Lord, and, and I appreciate what you said, lean on each other. Don't allow those things to create a wedge of separation where uh, you just kind of part ways, even spiritually or or mentally with your spouse, but just lean in to the Lord together, trusting God, and, and God will see you through those things. And since then, the Lord has blessed you with three beautiful children. How, how do they enjoy their life of travel and it's all they know right uh burkina faso if you were to ask your kids what where's home what what's home to them or are they still 
all over because you got same as us Canada Africa America uh, they're used to all that travel but how did they do in Burkina Faso yes the uh, Alina and Kezia are the ones that are familiar with Burkina Alina more and uh, and yeah we just we have our routine and and the things we do they have their Burkina Bay friends and at church and even in the community and so uh, but now since you know Julie's situation with the her citizenship. We've been back in the U.S. for for over two years, and I've been making trips back and forth. And so, so now, obviously, because of the length of time we've been back, home is more in, in the U.S. But sure. but Alina is is still talking about going back to Burkina, and yes, so she sir. she's eager to go back. And so when I make a trip back by myself, and she starts crying, and she was like, "I want to go. I want to go to the Burkina Faso." <laughs> well, it is exciting to see what the Lord's doing there in Burkina Faso. Let's talk a little bit about uh, evangelism there. You have some of the same challenges we have. The nine out of ten people we'll speak to here are going to be Muslim, uh, and then there are Catholics here as well. Um, and then those in the south of Senegal are also animistic, and so similar to Burkina Faso, there's a lot of similarities uh, in the culture. Obviously, uh, a lot of differences as well. So walk us through um, who who was some of the first among the first people that you led to Christ as you were in your neighborhood. What were their background and what did a gospel conversation sound like with those early believers? Or did you have it? Was it everybody? Do you have people from animistic and Muslim and Catholic background all at once? Let's walk through maybe some of those conversations. Yes. So we um, we have um, the first person that came uh, to the Bible study was actually a, a former Protestant. Mm -hmm. And and um, and she was dealing with um, some animistic type um, uh, rituals that she knew was not right. right. And, and so we helped her through that and praise the Lord, she, she, was, uh, she was able to get out. And, uh, and she was actually already saved. She had a clear salvation yeah. testimony, but she was definitely a babe mm. in Christ and, and needed it to grow. And, and today she's our treasurer okay. uh, in the church and, uh, and it has, it has grown tremendously. It's, it's really exciting. Uh, the, the first, um, the first convert, I would say, would be a, was a Muslim, uh, Omar, and he was part of the more militant group okay. of uh, Muslim, yeah. and uh, and we led him to the Lord after presenting the gospel in an open air setting, uh, which which I, at first I, I didn't I was speaking I was speaking to two men in the street and I was speaking more to the other one than him because he he didn't look like he was paying attention, right. and in fact he looked kind of mean. To, to, to be uh, to uh, yeah to to be frank yeah. and uh, and so I was speaking more to his uh, to his friend and um, and I told him after they both prayed and made a profession of faith and I thought yeah the other guy which was Catholic he's he seems more serious about it the other guy I don't think I'll see him again yeah. and uh, to my amazement he showed up at, at the next uh, meeting of the uh, of the Bible study. And he had the biggest grin on his face. And I'm telling you, that, that was a surprise. And one of the first questions he asked me was, uh, how do we pray? Because yeah. obviously in Islam, prayer is a big right. uh, facet of, of the religion, praying five times a day on the carpets, a whole ritual. So, uh, so I explained to him. And, um, and I, at that point, I, I didn't have a lot of experience in sharing the gospel with Muslims because I had just gotten sure. uh, to Burkina. So I did the best that I knew, you know, just straight up, God uh, loves you and we all have sin. Right. Sin must be paid for. 
Christ paid for our sin and you need to trust Christ as, as personal savior to have your sins forgiven. And, uh, and so, so very basic, you know, what a, a typical gospel presentation you would hear in the U.S. And, um, and, but the Lord used it and, and the Lord was already found out later, the Lord was already at work in Omar's heart. He was going through several struggles and he, he, uh, he was frustrated with Islam itself and certain practices. And, uh, and, and, and so maybe he was just wanting to try something out. I don't know, but he's still with us. He's our first deacon in our church today. And it's been, it's been, uh, over, over six years. And so, uh, so that was our, our first encounter with, uh, someone who's still with us and as far as presenting the, presenting the gospel. Our, our church is composed about a third former Protestants, uh, a third former Catholics and a third former Muslims. So that's, that's about, and, and that's in the capital. So 60% of the population in Burkina is Muslim, but in the capital that percentage is, is reduced because of the bigger um, percentage that's represented by Protestant and Catholics. Yeah, the, the Catholics definitely dominate in, in, the, in the capital. So that's most of our encounters, especially when we go door to door, would be with, uh, with Catholic folks. So, and, and, and I'll just encourage you if you're listening, you know, a lot of people get intimidated when they think of trying to evangelize somebody, especially from the Islamic faith. And uh, we, we could give the same testimony. Uh, God is already at work. I always tell young people, God wants to save people more than we want to see people saved. Mm -hmm. I don't care how big a heart you have for the world and for the lost. God's heart is far bigger and his love is far more profound. And he is at work in this world. And it's the gospel that saves. It's the gospel that works. And yes, we should learn the mindset and the worldview of those who uh, uh, of different faiths. Uh, because in a minute, I'm going to ask you what are some common questions that arise. But as he shared the testimony, you know, this was a young man that God was already at work in his life, and he's already seeking. And it's just it's the gospel that saves. It's the gospel. Even if he was just oh, I'm frustrated with this, I'm going to try something new. Well, thank God he tried Jesus and Jesus works. Jesus saves and he comes to a faith in Christ and finds true joy and, and gets plugged into the church there. And so, um, you know, whatever background you're from, like if God's leading you to work in a place, especially if, even in the States, learn to engage those who don't have the gospel. Find the Muslim community in your city, in your neighborhood, and be deliberate in engaging uh, people where they are, no matter their religious background, and just be encouraged that it's the gospel that works. It's the gospel that saves. But at the same time, you do need to understand where people are coming from, mm -hmm. uh, because if you don't understand how they define terms, uh, then there can be a lot of miscommunication when you're sharing biblical teaching. I'll give an example of a missionary who served here for 40 years. He was telling me, he really, Josh, he said, I worked in a village in the South, which is animistic practices. And he said, I, I learned early on from this one example how I need to be very deliberate in how I'm explaining how to practice Christianity. He said a, a young lady came who was a believer, a young Christian. She said her her mother is sick, her mother or grandmother. She said, hey, can you come pray for her? And uh, he said, yeah, I'll come as soon as I, you know, the schedule opens up. And uh, she asked, well, what, what can I do until you come? He said, well, take the Bible and sit next door and just start, you know, use the Bible um, for her and that, that will help prepare. So when I come, I can, you know, share the gospel with her. And so he said, I went later that evening and I walk in and mother, and she's very sick and she's laying on the bed with a Bible on her chest. 
And he said, oh, why is the Bible on her chest? He said, oh, you said to prepare and have the Bible, use the Bible to prepare. And so in her, in the animistic background, it was this, this book is going to give some sort of a blessing just by touching her. And he's like, no, I, I meant to read it to her, but that that's all right. We'll go ahead and we'll share the gospel here. And so it's just understanding, yeah, those mentalities to be able to approach the gospel. So when you're evangelizing, let's say with a, with a Roman Catholic, what are some uh, common questions you may get. You present mm -hmm. the gospel, but now they're going to object and, well, you know, what's their perspective? What are questions you get asked sometimes after you've shared the gospel? Right. With, with the Catholics, um, some will say that, uh, well, we have the same faith. You know, we believe in the Trinity. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God, which which is different from the Muslim faith. Right. And so they, they, they like to look at the common denominators. Um, and so at that point, I'll say, okay, but how how can you have peace with God? How how can you have your sins forgiven? And I try to draw them to the point that differentiates us, right. which is salvation. And uh, and obviously they'll say, for the for the vast majority of, of Catholics, they'll say that well you have to get baptism, you have to do good to your neighbor. So it's a good work salvation, uh, which is typical for for Catholics. And uh, and so at that point I'll help them understand that it's not by works. Uh, or else we could boast about it. It's the grace of God. And, uh, and so some, uh, 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 I remember one, one of the most uh, uh, interesting uh, uh, ca uh, Catholics I shared the gospel with was actually a man that had done catechism, had taught catechism. Okay. And, uh, and, and so in, in Catholicism, they believe that there is, uh, every Sunday at Mass, mm -hmm. they re-sacrifice Christ for the new sins that were committed in the week. Yeah. And so I went to Hebrews and showed him that Christ did a sacrifice once for all, an eternal sacrifice once for all sin. Yeah. And when, he, when I showed him that verse, he was blown away. Yeah. And, and a few minutes later, he professed faith in Christ uh, in his sac eternal sacrifice for all of his sin. And that, that was an enlightening moment for him. Yeah. And, he, and he's been with us as well. And he's been helping actually with teaching and preaching in, in the church and the kids program especially. And he's, so he's, he's, he's doing great. And, uh, and so we need to help people understand that, okay, what, what's the difference between what the Catholics believe about salvation? Because that's the most important topic we could yeah. discuss with them. And we, let's not talk about Mary. Let's not talk about, you know, purgatory. Let's, let's go directly to Christ. And when we talk about Christ... Purgatory will take care of itself. Mary will take care of herself because Christ is sufficient. He's the only mediator. We don't need to go through another way. We don't need to suffer for our own sin in purgatory because the sacrifice of Christ is sufficient. Yeah, yeah. it's so true. And that's, that's one of the exciting aspects of missions and evangelistic work is sometimes it's to us, it's like Christianity 101. And yet it's mind-blowing to somebody who maybe, you know, a Catholic has a Catholic some Bible training, but there are verses that are hidden. In Islam, we find that as well. There's so much that's hidden, even in their own teaching, um, that it just, a lot of these false religions thrive on ignorance. But when you just, when they see Christ in his fullness and see his sufficiency and see what he's done, um, you know, it, it, it changes lives. It's the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. And so, yeah, uh, it, it's being a missionary. It's, it's not hard. It has its difficulties, but I wouldn't say it's hard. You get to share the gospel with people who've never heard the true Jesus. I can't think of anything 
more fun, uh, more exciting to do uh, than doing this type of work. I want to close out with you speaking to, um, of course, we've talked about Islamic evangelism, and I think we'll do other podcasts where we get more deep into that. But I wanted to share a little bit about what did you come to discover about animism? A lot of people have heard the term. They don't fully comprehend, you know, what is animism. Um, you've probably heard of voodoo. That's rooted. Uh, here in West Africa, Burkina Faso and other countries like that um, is really where a lot of these practices came from rooted in animistic practices. So what were some of the uh, what are some things you learned about animism? And then again, uh, you came to scripture to find the, the sufficiency of scripture to even answer uh, the false teaching and the enslavement that comes with animism. Tell us a little bit about that. as we. Yes. Yeah, so I, I actually share the gospel very similarly with animist people as I would with Muslim people um, because their, their faith is so further than ours compared to the Protestants and right. the, uh, the Catholics. So I, I would bring them back to the Garden of Eden, which most of them would have some form of version and understanding of that. And so, so I would say that um, there's something that's forbidden, a fruit that's forbidden. And if we eat of that fruit, we must die. But instead of, killing Adam and Eve, God killed an innocent animal, took the skin of that animal and made coats of skin for Adam and Eve. And so they had to reject their own good works of, of fig leaves that they had put together and they must, so that's repentance, and they must put their faith in the substitutionary sacrifice that God provided for them yeah. and, and to uh, receive it. And so that's, in a nutshell, that's salvation, you know. Uh, repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. And all that is pictured right after the first yeah. sin was committed. So, so the gospel, we have it from the beginning. Um, and so, and then you go to uh, Cain and Abel and the importance of, um, of, the, uh, of having blood compared to a offering of one's ability or, or talent. And uh, so we, we can't just offer whatever we want. There's something that's that's mandatory that God has instituted. Right. And then I will go to Abraham and Isaac, especially with Muslims. They love that story. And, uh, and, and then I'll, I'll explain to them that death is here because of sin. And so, uh, but God provides a substitutionary sacrifice. And so he, before the sacrificing of Isaac, God provides a ram. And, uh, and again, Abraham could have, said, thank you, Lord, for the ram, but I will, I will contribute myself with my own son. Right. And, um, and so he can leave the ram and still sacrifice his son. And God could have raised him because Abraham believed that anyways. Mm -hmm. uh, but he recognizes the importance that there's grace. Right. And, uh, and although God wouldn't allow Abraham to sacrifice his son, uh, God would provide his son uh, so that we don't have to sacrifice right. ours. And, um, and so he grabs the ram with joy and removes his son from the altar. What a, what a beautiful picture of God's love and uh, provided for our salvation. And, uh, and so, so this, 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 the sacrificial law is, precedes the Mosaic law with Moses. Uh, and, and, and so what you find, the two common denominators in animism is this habit of making animal sacrifices. Right. In some cultures, in some tribes, they make human sacrifices, unfortunately. And, uh, and so, so I tried to help animists understand that 
what they're doing is actually rooted in the Bible. Uh, why do they do sacrifices? Well, they do it for a different reason. They do it because they want a good harvest. They want rain to come down in a good amount. Or they want their wife, who's sterile, to have children. And, uh, and other reasons for physical, temporal blessings. And they don't understand that at the origin of the first sacrifice, it's not for physical blessing, but spiritual blessing to be reconciled to God. And, and so this, which leads to the second ingredient, which is communion with the spirits. So the animists have communion with the spirits and they've corrupted with time because I'll ask animist people, you know, who told you that you need to do sacrifice? Who told you you need to consult the, 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 the spirits? And they'll just say our ancestor. And I'll say, well, tell me, what's his name? Who invented it? You know, yeah. and they can't because animistic, uh, animism is not based on someone's idea. It's actually based on the foundational way that God wants to be in communion with us through prayer. So we don't pray to the spirits. We pray to the Father of spirits. But as Saul, King Saul, wanted to take a shortcut because uh, he, was, he wasn't in good communion with God, so he went to the witch of Endora and consulted the spirits. And that's not God's design. So animism is, and I'll conclude with animist people, that animism is a corruption of the fellowship that God designed between he and his creation, and, and particularly, and obviously, uh, uh, humankind. And, uh, and so that, that'll be my approach with animistic. And of course, I haven't met many of them. Um, one I met, which was very short, because as soon as I mentioned Jesus, he slammed the door without explaining why. Yeah. And I found out later that some animist people fear uh, their ancestors so much that they believe that if they just listen to another religion, another belief system, that their ancestors will kill them. So there's a very strong pressure, and and of course there you know there's persecution in the Catholic Church as well. Uh, there's persecution, although it may not be in Western countries like Europe or in Africa. If you're a Catholic and you change religions, you gotta keep an eye uh, uh, across. Uh, you have to keep an eye out. <laughs> and and in Muslim faith, obviously that's uh, that's uh, worldwide. Um, and so, so I'm, I'm trying to take them to the common denominators that we find in the scriptures. And the reality is we all come from the same root. We're all from Adam and Eve. And so sometimes I get the question, well, you're white and we're black. Why are we so different? You know, <laughs> we must not have the same parents. And then we'll go into some anthropological uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, explanation and, and then all sorts of different yeah. explanations with uh, diet and geography and so forth. And just to explain to them that whatever faith you come to, uh, all of it has the same root. Right. It all goes back to a same common denominator. You go in some remote villages or tribal people that haven't been exposed to uh, Western society, and you will find they make some form of sacrifices, and they have some form of prayer of where they consult the spirits. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing your experience and your passion to share the gospel uh, with the people of Burkina Faso. As we close out, how can we best pray for you as you continue to move forward in your church planning effort? Uh, give us just a quick overview of what's your vision going forward for Burkina Faso and the ministry there, and then how can we, we best pray for you? Yeah, well, I want to thank you before I close for this opportunity to, to, um, uh, to really 
give a lot of information and experience, especially for younger generations. I think that's uh, uh, that's that's very wise to because uh, we, we we don't know when the Lord's going to come back, and we want to make sure that missions keeps going on, uh, even if we pass the scene, pass from the scene. And so so uh, so thanks for this initiative of uh, having this podcast and. It's been a blessing to me, and I know it's been a, a blessing to many. And but uh, yeah, as far as prayer requests uh, um, and vision for the for uh, the ministry the Lord has called us to, uh, we were in the capital, and um, as you said, there, there's been some terrorist activity in the country, so we're planning to stay in the capital because the capital is pretty safe, um, especially for the family, and and we want to have uh, a ministry that has experience that has. That, that, that is exemplary yeah. uh, from which we can plant other ministries in the capital with a two million in population. There's, yeah. there's tremendous work to be done in the capital city. And in fact, right now we're looking at planting a, a second church. We're in the south of the capital. We're looking at planting a church in the east part of the capital. Yeah. And, uh, and then with time, we'd love to send um, workers uh, in villages and in, in, in remote areas uh, to plant churches. Uh, and of course, you know, all of that depending and like this church that we're about to plant in, uh, in the western part of the capital, Lord willing, or eastern part of the capital, that actually came about by itself okay. because we, we led this Muslim to the Lord and he doesn't live near us. He right. lives in the western part of the capital. But he's been coming uh, through his own means, the church, and he's got a, he's right now he has a bike and it takes him about 30 to 40 minutes. And so, so we started a Bible study in his home and, uh, and, and we want to see what the Lord does and, and Lord willing, we'll be able through him and the, the Bible study that's been started. Other people have been reached and seem to be serious about uh, their newfound faith. Uh, then Lord confirming that we'll be able to organize a church from there. And so, so really, as the Lord allows us to meet people, and 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 really, we're not really we're not pushing any doors. No. We're allowing the Lord to. We're waiting on the Lord, allowing the door to, to uh, to open, and then we just go through it. I'm not I'm not c condemning that we shouldn't be pushing doors, obviously, because yeah. we we do that. We want to we want to create opportunity and see what the Lord does. So I'm not saying again, anything against that, but but there's something wonderful to to see the Lord open doors where you never thought a door would be open. Yeah. But having the discernment to, to say, this is of the Lord. Um, and so let's, let's go all in. We don't know the area, that neighborhood. I've never been in it before. And, uh, and obviously it's needy, but there's a, I think the greatest adventure is not just to bully your way through life and impose, you know, your, your, your system and, and, and obviously God can use that, I'm sure. But, but I think the adventure is to wait on the Lord. And that doesn't mean we're not doing anything. We're, we're, we're keeping busy. And, and, um, and last week you mentioned a little bit about, uh, I didn't answer the question, but about the discipline. And, and we want to be disciplined. We want to have a program, a schedule that's going on. We want to have a target. Yeah. But at the same time, we want, we want to be sen sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit who may open an area that would be obvious that we would say, okay, maybe I'm going to put certain things on hold because I'm seeing evidence that God's doing something in another area. Well, praise the Lord. Well, I hope you'll reach out. Uh, let 
Brother Stephen, know you're praying for him in his ministry. Uh, learn, learn about their ministry. Do you guys have a website? You mentioned your email last week. We uh, tell us about your tell us your website and uh, yeah, similar to our email, Nick and Burkina Faso dot com. Okay. So we'll add the F A S O to Nick and Burkina. Uh, Very good. We're going to leave all that information in the the show notes. Be sure to reach out and to thank them. If he's been a blessing, uh, let them know. Pray for their ministry. Pray for laborers. Pray pray that God will touch the hearts of of young people and couples and missionary minded young people. And even it doesn't matter your age. You just surrender to the Lord. There's a need. Anywhere in this world, you can put your finger on a map and there's a need there. And there's certainly need in Burkina Faso, Senegal. Uh, just surrender yourself to the Lord. Be available. And uh, Brother Stephen, his wife Julie, they're a testimony to the grace of God, of someone who just surrenders to his will and how God can use you uh, to advance his work in the world. So thank you so much for joining us, Stephen. Thank you for listening and watching. Be sure again, if this has been a blessing to you, share, like, comment. Uh, If you know a young couple that's on the mission field, maybe they're going through a struggle or they're trying to adjust, send this uh, episode to them. I know it'll be a blessing to them. Have a great day. God bless.